Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. Today we're starting a new series called Navigating Our Differences with Unity. Often our urge to be right can overcome our call to be gracious, and we stop resembling the Savior we're called to follow. This series looks at a period in the life of the early church where they faced some of the same struggle and looks at the principles God gave to help them. Today we're considering how to show love when it's hard. Over the last two years, our society has become incredibly divided. People don't trust each other. They don't listen to one another. Even Christians express hatred and anger, anger toward each other over their response to issues they didn't even used to even think about. It's not the first time people have struggled to get along, though, and it's certainly not the worst. The Bosnian War lasted less than four years, but it resulted in the first genocide since World War II. There were more than 100,000 deaths, with over 2 million people displaced and an estimated 50,000 women raped. As the war began, a Bosnian-Serb couple named Rosa and Drago Sorak tried to avoid the constant barrage of propaganda from nationalist leaders who helped to stir the hatred that led to war. One night, the Bosnian police came to take their oldest son away for questioning. He never returned. Five months later, his wife gave birth to a, a baby girl. With constant shelling, food shortages, and utilities cut off, it was a nightmare for the new mother, and she found herself unable to nurse her child. The family fed the baby tea for five days, but it was clear that her life was starting to slip away. On the fifth day, just before dawn, they heard a knock at the door. It was their Muslim neighbor, Fadil Fejdik, with a half liter of milk. Fejdik had one of the few remaining cows in the town, and the other families insulted him for giving milk to a Serbian family. Milk was precious at the time, and he had to milk his cow at night to avoid being hit by Serbian snipers. Despite that, he delivered a half liter of milk every day for the next 442 days until the family was eventually able to move. War usually brings out the worst in almost everyone, even when bullets aren't used. When leaders stir up hatred and propaganda flies, it's easy to stop seeing people as people. And it's easy to stop treating people as people. We can get so worked up about being right and deciding who's wrong that we forget that we're called to be a people of love. We're the ones who are supposed to love our neighbors. We're the ones who are supposed to deliver the milk. But I don't think the Christian church has done a great job of that over the last two years. Some have responded like Fadil Fejdik, to be sure. But many Christians have griped, complained, vilified, gossiped, divided, and accused. And I think we need a reset. Over the next month, I'd like to look with you at three chapters in the book of Romans that were written to a church facing many of the same issues that we do. If you have a Bible handy, I'd ask you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. If you don't have a Bible, click on the link for today's passage in the description below. Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. 
serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God. Now, this passage gives us three ways to show love when it's hard. The first is look for needs to meet. Our most basic approach to love isn't through feeling, but through action. We look for needs to meet. The passage starts in verse 9 with a summary sentence for the entire section. It says, let love be genuine. So basic is love to Christianity that Paul assumes it rather than commanding it. Of course Christians are about love, he seems to say, but the question is whether that love is real or not. And then he gives some examples of what real love looks like. In verse 10, for instance, he says, love one another with brotherly affection. We're to show the tenderness of a family toward one another. We're to be committed to each other. We're to meet each other's needs and care about each other's concerns. And we don't get this perfectly all the time, but I think we have a sense of it. But I think that what the pandemic's done is tempted us to put conditions on this brotherly affection. We love the people who agree with us. We're sympathetic to the people with the same vaccination status as us. And we justify it by saying, they're not showing love to me. But Paul says that we're supposed to outdo one another in showing honor. That means that we're not supposed to keep score. Our commitment to love is without conditions. You don't have to agree with my politics or my preferences. You don't have to be worthy of my love. I love you because you're family, period, full stop. In verse 13, he gives some examples of how to do that. It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Meet people's needs and let people in. Now that might look a little different now than it did before the pandemic, but we can still do that, right? We can still meet people's needs. We can still let people into our lives. I see you do that with your prayers and your phone calls. I see you do that with the help that you offer each other and the gifts that you give. I see you do that when you take an interest in each other's lives and take the time to listen. When hate gets stirred up in our world, we can start to see people as either for us or against us. We start putting, putting people on teams and decide which babies are worthy of our milk. That's not Christian love anymore. Our faith is supposed to fuel a different kind of love than that. That's why this passage contains appeals for our growth. For instance, verse 11, it says, 
Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. When the heat gets turned up and the pressure is on, we can become sloppy in our faith. But it's now that our world needs to see what Christian love really is. We're not supposed to just join the chorus of shouting along with the world. Our faith should drive us to love instead. It should move us to meet needs and care for others. Verse 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. This is a first hint of what the church in Rome was facing. They needed hope. They had to be patient because they were facing hard times. They needed perseverance in prayer because they were tempted to give up. It was hard. They could relate to some of the feelings that we've gone through over the last couple of years. Paul calls them to lean into their faith, but not just as fuel for a fight, not just to find energy to get angry like the world does. We lay hold of our hope so that we can love when it's hard. We persevere in prayer so that we can love when we're frustrated. I read an example of this lately and it encouraged me because there's so much bad news that we hear. A couple had a big wedding reception planned and COVID made a mess of their plans. They decided to cancel the reception and just have a small ceremony with a few friends. While they were able to cancel their venue, they were still on the hook for a $5,000 catering deposit. Rather than try to sue to get the money back, they asked the caterer whether they could do something good with it. They agreed and ended up making $5,000 worth of Thanksgiving meal packages that they were able to get distributed through a mental health services provider in the area. An incredibly discouraging situation was turned around by a couple committed to showing love and meeting needs despite their difficulties. So when love is hard, look for needs to meet, but also hold your opinions in humility. Pride gets in the way of love and God's the only one who is always right. So hold your opinions in humility. In verse 16, Paul says something that feels unrelated to this theme of love, but it's actually central to it. He says this, never be wise in your own sight. Now we usually think of wisdom as being a good thing, and it is. But the wisdom that the Bible speaks of is wisdom from God. Here, Paul's warning is about being wise in your own sight. In Proverbs, it's called wise in your own eyes. And the idea is you begin to trust in your own ideas. You start to rely on your own opinions with the same conviction that you rely on God's word, maybe even more so. And that's exactly how Adam and Eve fell in the garden. It's how we end up being led astray. But it doesn't just lead us into sin, it gets us, it gets in the way of us showing love to people. Have you ever tried to spend time with someone who always thought they were right? You can't speak with them, you can only listen. It's not a conversation, it's always a lecture. And it gets in the way of love. I think this has been one of the problems we've seen over the last two years. People have become so entrenched in their ideas about almost every aspect of the pandemic, and they treat their opinions like a statement of faith. We're all so convinced that we're right, that it gets in the way of caring for each other the way we should. Verse 15 
is related to this, I think. It says this, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Has a pandemic made it more difficult for you to be able to do that? Can you rejoice with someone who got a booster shot? Can you rejoice with someone who is granted a religious exemption? If you can't, then it may be an indication that you're not holding your opinions in humility. Pride will keep us from putting ourselves in other people's shoes. Pride will keep us from telling, it'll, it'll keep telling us that we're right and so we need to set other people straight. But I don't know if you've been keeping score, but I think that just about everyone has been wrong about some aspect of their response or their opinions about this pandemic. And that doesn't mean that we can't make wise judgments, but it should remind us we need to hold our opinions with more humility. God's the only one who's always right, so we need to stop pretending like we're God. We need to work harder at seeing the world from other people's perspectives. Christians are gloating about the consequences that their brothers and sisters are facing when we're the ones who've been called to weep with those who weep. That's not Christian. And we can't justify it because we think that we're right and they're wrong. We need to hold our opinions in humility. As it says in 1 Peter 5, 5, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we've said that we're in this period of time when it's easy to judge each other and harder to show love. And yet God's word reminds us that love is still the heart of our faith. So we look for needs to meet. We hold our opinions in humility. And finally, we learn to bless our enemies. We follow a savior who's called us to do good to people we disagree with and make our lives difficult. If we're going to be faithful to him, we have to learn to bless our enemies. The first step in doing that is taking revenge off the table. Verse 17 says, repay no one evil for evil. God hasn't given us the freedom to get even. Payback isn't part of a Christian's vocabulary. Revenge doesn't enter into the equation. And it says in verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Have you let vengeance simmer in your heart toward people you disagree with? Is there bitterness in your heart when you see someone not wearing a mask or against the person who tells you to put one on? Have you joined sides in the hate fest that's going on right now? Pandemic is hard enough on all of us already, but if you're carrying around anger and resentment on top of that, it'll bury you. Have you ever heard people talk about grudges and they say that they can really weigh you down? It sounds like just something people say, right? Well, it may be more literal than you think. Researchers at Erasmus University took three groups of people the first group was told to write about a time when they had a conflict and didn't forgive the other person. The second group had to write about a conflict where they did show forgiveness. And the third group just wrote about some dull social interaction. When they were finished writing, they asked the participants to jump five times as high as they could without bending their knees. The people who had just been thinking about forgiveness jumped on average three inches higher than those who remembered their grudges. 
there was an almost 40% difference between those two groups. The weight of bitterness is real. It actually weighs on us, weighs heavily on us. And it does so as easily, whether it's directed at a group of people or a politician, as it does with a friend or a neighbor. We need to let go of our anger. But we're called to do more than that. Verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Well, he got that straight from Jesus. We're supposed to look for ways to bless the people we disagree with and struggle to get along with. Blessing your enemies might start with prayer, but that's not all that Paul has in mind. In verse 20, he says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And then in verse 20, 21, he says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Almost two years of restrictions, isolation, stress, and very little opportunity for relief have brought out the worst in people. We've seen evil on display. And the warning of verse 21 is that the evil will overcome some. It'll be too much for them, and they'll give in to it. Don't let that be true of you. Overcome evil with good. Make your peace with people who disagree with you. Look for ways to do good to them. Pray for their blessing. Listen to them. Support them. Encourage them. Russ Ford was a chaplain to death row inmates. He knew all about the weight of bitterness and the power of forgiveness. He said this, Jesus didn't teach us to love our enemies for their good. It's for our own good, to keep from becoming the enemy. You and I both know Christians who become so angry and bitter in what they thought was right, they ended up acting like the enemy. They actually became the enemy and they did it with a Bible in their hand. Our world needs more Christians who will act Christian. Be one of them. This passage gives us some clues as how we can do that. We've already looked at verses 11 and 12, which point into our faith as a fuel for us to work on love. And it's a reminder that the sermons and Bible studies and times of prayer aren't for us to feel good or get spiritual points with God. We do what we do as Christians to give us a strength to love when it's hard. The forgiveness part is particularly difficult. And that's why scripture reminds us we don't need to become bitter at injustice because God gets angry for us. He's in charge of justice and he'll get it right. Verse 19 says, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's what Stephen, the church's first martyr, did. In Acts chapter 7, he's surrounded by an angry crowd, and while they're still throwing rocks at him, he prays in verse 60 like this, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Those were his last recorded words before he died. He didn't need to convince the crowd that he was right. He could just say his peace and trust that God would honor his commitment to bless his enemies. And Stephen obviously learned that from Jesus himself. In Luke 23, 34, Jesus famously prayed from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
It's not until you bring the command to bless your enemies back to Jesus that it becomes more than a warm ideal. Because you can't see Jesus on the cross praying to the Father for forgiveness on his enemies without realizing that we were the enemies. We would have had no hope of forgiveness without Jesus' determination to bless his enemies. And he gave us so much more than that. He gave us love and acceptance and the wonder of eternal hope. How could he give so much to a world that rejected and killed him? And how can we receive so much and still be so stingy with our own love? Let your love be shaped by the cross. Let it be transformed by a savior who died for murderers and lawbreakers. Let him change your own heart and form it after his own. Let's look to him now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess that we have often not reflected your love to a watching world in the midst of this pandemic. We've fallen short. We've been quick to judge, quick to criticize. And we ask your forgiveness. Father, we pray that you would take any anger in our hearts right now, any bitterness that we have allowed to build, any resentment that we have allowed to simmer. And we leave it at the cross. We leave it in the hands of a savior who is crowned king who has given authority to rule and to judge. Forgive us for taking his place, from seeking to be the judge instead of Jesus. We trust in you and we trust in your plan. We submit ourselves to you and we ask you to do all things right. Give us the strength now, Father, to Bless our enemies the way Jesus did to us. To offer forgiveness. To show love. To meet needs. To care. To listen. To support. To encourage. And as we do, may Christ be glorified in our relationships. May we feel the weight and the burden of bitterness and anger lifted from our hearts that we might serve in the freedom of the spirit. For we ask you in Jesus name. Amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you to see how to show love when it's hard. If it stirred up questions or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.